0: Hello, Redemption Church. Thank you for joining us today as we get ready to close out our time in Malachi and the Minor Prophets as a whole and move toward our Advent season. But let me pray for us as we get started. Holy Father, thank you for the opportunity we have today. God, thank you for your great word and the many um, weeks and months that we've spent moving through the Minor Prophets. God, thank you for how you've allowed us to see. Um, you at work and the reality of your gospel and the pointers to Jesus and uh, just so much rich good stuff that we've been able to see week after week as we have moved through these books God I pray that you would close out our time today in Malachi God with a sense of joy a sense of longing for what's next in the story a sense of um just great gratitude and thankfulness as we think about our great Savior, Jesus. God, I pray that you would use me as an instrument of your grace and mercy. God, I pray that uh, you would be glorified. And Holy Father, it's in your name that I pray, amen. Malachi chapter four, verses one through six. This is what God's word says. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven when all the arrogant and all evil, evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. this last chapter of Malachi is the idea of the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord has been referenced many times throughout our journey um, in the Minor Prophets, and that idea shows up again in Malachi chapter 3, and it extends into chapter 4, so much so that four times in these first six verses, or, or the six verses of Malachi chapter 4, the idea of the day of the Lord shows up. And the day of the Lord Sometimes we see that in scripture with that exact phrase or maybe just a reference to that day or a reference to the day or a reference to a day or something similar. But it carries with it this idea that God will bring blessing to his people and conversely that God will bring justice and judgment to the evil and the wicked of the earth and even to his own unfaithful people. And, and the win of the day of the Lord is a little bit nebulous because in the minor prophets, we often see that this day is at hand, uh, especially as God's people face discipline of some sort or are exiled for um, their idolatry and injustice. But there's also a future component to the day of the Lord, uh, a now but not yet component to, to the day of the Lord. So that the day of the Lord is really about something bigger. It's about God being at work one way or another, both for his people and against their enemies. And so sometimes that means he disciplines his own people. Sometimes that that means he rescues his own people. Sometimes it means that he blesses his own people. But it also means that we see God defeat their enemies or bring judgment to Israel's enemies as well. But the the day of the Lord ultimately is about God being active and going out on behalf of his people. And much of the Old Testament's hope is wrapped up in this idea that God will rescue his people on that day because of his promises, his covenant promises to do so. And the concept of the day of the Lord probably found its genesis within the covenant promise that God himself gave to his people as he led them out of captivity in Egypt in order for them to become his very own people, his covenant people. And so Deuteronomy 32, 35 through 36 contains what many people think to sort of be um, the genesis, the origin of this idea of the day of the Lord. And this is what that passage says. Vengeance is mine and recompense for the time when their foot shall slip. For the day of their calamity is at hand and their doom comes swiftly For the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants when he sees that their power is gone and there is none remaining, bond or free. So this whole motif around that day in Malachi chapter 4 and throughout the Minor Prophets is much bigger than just some future thing that is going to happen It's about God vindicating his people. It's about God ending all evil and injustice. It's about God having compassion on his people and extending grace to them. And there's so much wrapped up in this idea of the day of the Lord and the hope that comes with it um, that we could easily miss the weight of it all if we don't stop and reflect upon it. But the day that Malachi references here at least points to a time when God will defeat Israel's enemies and to trample them underfoot and bring great joy to God's people. It's a pointer to something fantastic. And that's what Malachi is doing in these first few verses. He's saying that there will be a day when all arrogance and evil will be burned up as if they were in an oven, in a furnace. And there will be a Uh, Also on the other side of that, there will be a beautiful spring day when the sun will rise. We all know that feeling, uh, a beautiful day when the weather turns from cold to warm and we just bask in and sort of enjoy the sunshine, a day where the sunshine and the light from the sun brings great joy. Malachi specifically references uh, an event like where young calves are frolicking and leaping for joy in that sunlight. I think this image of young livestock uh, leaping in the sunshine is some of my favorite imagery in all of scripture. Uh, And I think that's because when I was younger, I grew up on a farm Uh, a horse farm specifically, but I've been around farming for much of my, or I was around farming for much of my young life, and I've seen this happen. I have very vivid memories of young horses or young cows just leaping for joy when they're young and first learning how to walk and run. And that image of young calves leaping for joy is such a striking image, especially in the way that it's contrasted to the image of evil being burned up in a furnace, but also in the way that unadulterated joy is promised to God's faithful people when the sun of righteousness rises. And so I just, I want you to hold on to this idea that the day of the Lord will be beautiful and joyous for God's faithful people, but at the same time, it will be devastating for the arrogant and the evil. Malachi goes on in verses 4 through 6 to remind the hearers of the covenant requirement that goes along with the promises of experiencing uh, this great day of joy. He tells them to remember the law and statutes that came to them during the Exodus when God made a covenant with his people. And by telling them to remember those things, he doesn't just mean to mentally assent to them. He means remember them by putting them into practice and actually doing them. He goes on to tell them that on that great day or before that great day, Elijah, the prophet will come. And then ultimately the hearts and minds of both parents and children will be turned. Now, one of the reasons that we've gone through the Minor Prophets, the series on the Minor Prophets, is because the Minor Prophets can be pretty difficult to digest and deal with at times. And Ben realized that if we could move through the Minor Prophets and see the gospel, see the pointers to Jesus all along the way, then we would be building some gospel fluency in our own lives, and in the lives of one another. And so if we can do that in this part of Scripture that's difficult, we can do that in any part of Scripture, throughout Scripture. But chapter 4 of Malachi kind of makes it really easy to point to Jesus. Verse 5 says this, "'Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes.'" if we were to flip the pages in our Bible just a few pages over, we'd see where Jesus says this about John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 11. And specifically starting in Matthew, uh, in verse 11 of Matthew chapter 11. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. On this side of the cross, we know very well that John the Baptist was a prophet to Israel 400 years after Malachi. After 400 years of silence, John the Baptist shows up on the scene pointing directly to Jesus and all of that Old Testament hope for a great day of the Lord. A day when according to Malachi, all evil and arrogance will be burnt away. A day when the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. A day when God's people will leap for joy. A day when Israel's enemies and all wickedness will be trampled underfoot. John takes all of that Old Testament hope and he points it straight at Jesus the Messiah. Over and over throughout the Minor Prophets, we are reminded that the day of the Lord will be a terrible day of judgment for some. That's why in Amos, God told his people who were living unjustly, to stop wishing for the day of the Lord. He says this specifically in Amos chapter five, woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light as if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him or went into the house and leaned his hand against the wall and a serpent bit him. God goes on to tell them that their external worship is worthless because they are living lives that oppress and harm and objectify others. And ultimately, God sends them to exile as a result of their idolatry and injustice. They are judged and they are exiled, and they bear the weight of their sin. But on the cross, we see Jesus bear the awful judgment of God so that you and I and others who believe will not have to bear the weight of God's judgment. The Minor Prophets repeatedly refer to the coming day of the Lord when God will execute judgment on both his enemies and on his unfaithful people. But if you know the story of John the Baptist, you know that he points to Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, who bears the judgment for God's people. And it is this judgment for the sin of his own people that Jesus takes upon himself at the cross. What great joy there is in that truth that Jesus bore the weight of our sin, that Jesus bore the weight of the wrath and judgment that we deserve so that we don't have to bear the full weight of God's judgment. And it is at the resurrection that this great joy comes alive when the joy promised on that great day by Malachi comes to life. We see it come to life in Matthew 28 as the Marys visit the empty tomb of Jesus. It says this, But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. And there you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. How fascinating it is to see this great joy come to life in these Um, in the life of these women as they have come to the tomb and realized that Jesus has risen from the dead. Whatever hope that God's people held in the Old Testament, whatever hope for great joy, whatever hope that their enemies would be defeated and that they would be vindicated, that hope finds its ultimate fulfillment in Jesus. And Jesus ties the role of John the Baptist directly to Malachi's promise that Elijah would return before that day of the Lord and in doing so ties himself to the fulfillment of the promises to defeat evil and arrogance and to bring great joy to God's people by saving and rescuing them, by bringing them into his kingdom and making them his own and fulfilling those covenant promises that we've seen all along the way through the Old Testament. So as we close our time this morning in Malachi and ultimately in the Minor Prophets, I would hope that these things would be true of us. That as we see the depths of our own sin, that our hearts are prompted to confess and turn away from our sin and turn to Jesus. That as we see the awful judgment that our sin deserves and that Jesus experienced in our place, that our hearts are moved with gratitude that as we see the promises of salvation that we now experience through the resurrection, that our hearts would be filled with great joy and full assurance of the work of Jesus. As we remember all that Jesus has done on our behalf, that we would do justice and love kindness and walk humbly with our God. Ultimately, my hope is that the Minor Prophets have pointed us towards and helped us take great joy in our Savior, Jesus, and that we would live in response to that great joy. Lives that point to Jesus, lives of justice and kindness and humility. Next week, we'll be turning the page in Scripture and beginning our Advent season with the understanding that the long-expected Messiah is the fulfillment of all of God's promises. But this morning, I just want to close our time together by hearing what John the Baptist's father had to say about John and Jesus as he ties the promise of Malachi to the events that unfold at the Incarnation. This is Luke 168 through 79, and this will close our time together today. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace.